this is Jason, and welcome to Stand By for Paradise. I stood facing the train schedule, comprehending nothing. The tables of departures and lines and train numbers were indecipherable to my jet-lagged brain. The train platform was empty in the dark hall somewhere under the Frankfurt airport. I looked back at the tracks with their little numbers on the signs above them. My ignorance was limitless. I had only a small window of time to gawk and wonder, though. Pitted against my lack of understanding of precise German train schedules was the unyielding certainty of the clock. I had never been to Europe, and I was attempting a rite of passage of any novice traveler, the slapdash city visit on a layover. Germany is one of the best countries to visit as a novice traveler. International travel is an unending stream of unknowns and uncertainties, but somehow in Central Europe, even these seem to have been planned and scheduled. You may not know what is going on at all, but you can trust that whatever is happening, it will happen regularly and very predictably. Any path or train can probably be reversed and traced back to its source, provided you can still do it in time to be on the same plane as your luggage. As I stood staring at the train schedule, an unsteady guess at which train I needed was beginning to form in the primordial ooze of my tired mind. I was suddenly shocked to hear a human voice next to me in the empty train hall. An older man in a dress shirt and dated beige trench coat looked expectantly at me through small glasses. I responded to what must have been a question with an uncomprehending silence. He repeated his question in German, pointing hopefully to the map. Apparently, he was asking me for directions. The feeble circuitry in my mind that remained from my one college German class was not up to the wattage and melted instantly. Not even an apology or a nine came up on the board in my mind. An awkward moment passed before the man, realizing his mistake, apologized in English. Oh, I am sorry, he continued with a smile and a casual wave of his hand. I thought you were from here. I was baffled. I had always assumed that every American was immediately identified when we left the country, as though a little flag were waving out of sight over your head. Little did I know, all you had to do was not be visibly holding a camera and keep your mouth shut, and your origin was somewhat less certain. Eventually, I realized my guesses about the trains were not going to improve. I bought the ticket I thought I needed for the city center and boarded what seemed like a promising train. As we blasted out into the daylight, I wondered how likely it was I would make it back in time for my plane to Chicago. The central train station of a European city is a wonderful thing for the time press traveler. Fly into Newark or San Francisco, and you are hopelessly distant from anything more interesting than acres of long-term parking and industrial warehouses. No layover is long enough for any meaningful exploration in the States, unless something has gone seriously wrong with your itinerary. In Germany, however, I was discovering that a couple euros and 20 minutes 
not counting the time staring at the map, could bring me to the very heart of a bustling, enlivening new world to wander around in. As a photographer, my first order of business in Frankfurt was to take every picture possible of everything. This is always hazardous business for me. As anyone who has traveled with me knows, time means nothing to the absorbed photo enthusiast, and whole hours can vanish as you hunt up angles and try to get bothersome telephone poles out of your frame. Merely pulling out my camera put me at serious risk of not making it back to the airport. All morning I walked around like a baby bird, head lifted upward toward the cold, pavement gray sky, demanding that the roof lines feed me one novel bit of architecture after another. Doing so had brought the Fleming's Hotel Frankfurt Riverside to my notice. I briefly wondered how distantly related to me the owners might be, and if they would be willing to share a room, as well as a last name, if I should turn up here again later, having failed to find my way back to the airport. Years later, I would discover the name had been lifted from a chance encounter in the 1960s between James Bond author Ian Fleming and a young chauffeur with ambitions of owning his own hotel chain. Just as well, I hadn't stopped in then. It hadn't looked like the sort of place I could afford anyhow. A couple hours good wander up and down the main river and through the older alleys and squares of the Innenstadt had left me realizing I had not eaten anything but airplane food since I was on a completely different continent. Ordering an entire meal seemed a little daunting, though, so I turned my attention to what was perhaps a more rewarding pursuit at 10 in the morning. Coffee. My lifelong love affair with the macchiato had begun in Ethiopia, where I had discovered the wondrous drink that bore no resemblance at all to what was passed out at drive through windows back in the States. The minuscule powder keg of flavor and potency, with only the most delicate covering of foam on top, was to become a mainstay for me. Years would pass before I would be ordering macchiatos daily in Italian cafes. At this early stage of my traveling and coffee-drinking career, speaking its name was more like encanting a spell than ordering a solid, specific thing. It was a mysterious word that resulted in wonders, though, and I thought saying it made it sound like I knew what I wanted. Being in Europe, there were more coffee shops lying about than I could ever have needed. I finally picked one that looked promising. Packing into the line amidst the woolen, pea-coated locals, I shuffled to the bar to utter my little incantation that would produce the drink I was after. Macchiato, bitte? That part worked fine. Then the barista spat back the price like a hail of bullets, knocking even basic numbers out of my brain. I wavered and fumbled some bills across the bar, much to her annoyance. I was not providing exact change. This was a disturbance in the force. The matrix had been compromised. The tidy, perfect Germanness of everyone's morning had a wrinkle now, as she had to stop taking orders and count change and pass bills and strange coins back to me across the bar. I sidestepped foolishly, waited for my drink, and then retreated from the steamy warmth of the cafe to a stand-up table on the patio in the fresh February air. I was only a few sips in before a short man in his fifties joined me. As he set his biscotti-laden saucer on the little table, he looked my way and said, Something. I had no idea what it was, 
but it came across with a distracted, orchestrated friendliness of a comment about the weather. Yeah, I said. We both nodded and stared out into the street. Soon, a man walking by the rail of the patio slowed and looked squarely at me. I tried to hide my entire self behind a long sip from a nearly empty coffee cup the size of a fat walnut. Cocking his head to the side, the man asked, Something. I raised an eyebrow over my uplifted cup. The question was repeated. I made a non-committal sound. Blah? Apparently, it had been yet another request for directions. Despite everything being perfectly ordered here in Germany, no one seemed to know where they were going. The man next to me pointed down the street, and I barely caught the German words for right and left as they flew past me in a flock of other syllables I didn't know. The man in the street was satisfied and left us with a danke and a nod. The old man looked up at me from under his hat and said, something in German, and I chuckled. Yeah, I agreed. Sipping the last of his drink and buttoning his coat, my morning drinking companion put his coffee and saucer in the bin on the shelf under the table. I hadn't even noticed it. How efficient, how perfect, how German. No bussing of tables, no carrying of cutlery. One little bin for every table. Auf Wiedersehen, he waved. Jittery from a stomach full of coffee and nothing else, I headed back to where I thought the train station ought to be. The iPhone had only just come out that year, and having Google Maps to hold your hand was not yet an option. I had to trust that Germans made square corners. Two turns would keep the river on my left, and that should eventually produce a train station where I expected it to be. I wandered down tiny streets, stumbling out into the touristy charm of the Römerberg, and finally into the Kaiserstrasse where it began to rain. There, my luck at being mistaken as a local, a point of pride among many seasoned travelers as I would later learn, finally ran out completely. A street cart was selling more wonderful sounding German food than I could pronounce or pay for in front of the Hauptbahnhof. I ducked under the canopy of the cart and ordered a schnitzel of some variety. Five euro, the man said in English, without hesitation. Damn. I was laughably early for my train, but that felt just about right. Years later, such a morning of wandering around a city I didn't know would have just been Tuesday. But for a novice, this had all been a bit much. I scuttled onto my tram and took a spot by the bright red doors in a car empty of everyone except a sullen teenager. Back at passport control, the efficient clean-cut customs officer hunted through my empty passport and found the entry stamp from earlier that morning. With that satisfying ka-chunk of the stamp, I had a match set and my little journey was complete. I had left the airport and, more or less, eaten a meal. Germany could be checked off the list. I wandered aimlessly to my gate the tension and immediacy of the morning now draining back into the dull background haze of jet lag. Whatever happened next, wandering through alleys and poking around cities across the world needed to be part of it. That schnitzel would be the first of so many meals eaten on the run out of greasy paper or off little toothpicks, each one of them more amazing than the last. 
Over the coming years, many things would change. For years, my wife and I had the time and money and the schedules to travel together. And then, eventually, I would find myself beginning to travel alone again for reasons that didn't make sense. The changing whims of American politics and foreign policy would bring congratulations and questions and curiosity from people I would meet, and sometimes coolness, and occasionally anger. The gravity well of work would be escaped at first, and then my career, with its pull, was reduced to a little neutron star, small but impossibly heavy, that would simply come along with me in my bag before vanishing almost completely for a while. Over the years, some things did not change, though. Almost exactly 11 years later, when I would next find myself in Frankfurt, trudging sleepily out of the bottom of the airport to find a train on another cold February day, I would be confronted again by the same cryptic and overly informative train schedule. The second time, however, I did not need to stand slack-jawed and wondering in front of that board. I merely nodded and smiled and did what any seasoned traveler would do to find a train. I checked Google Maps. This is Stand By for Paradise, a little show made by me, Jason Fleming. You can read the full text of each episode, as well as see pictures from these stories at standbyforparadise.com. If you like the show, please share it with someone. If you love the show, you can support it on Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.